Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, it's good to see you guys here. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. My name is Jason. I serve as uh, one of the elders and pastor here, and today what we're doing in this new series is going through the Gospel of Mark. And before we jump into that, let me share a few things Uh, Just from a leadership side, if Bergen Park Church is the place you call home, we're going to be making some changes over the next month. Uh, We have two services. One, you're here at 930, and we also have one at 11 o'clock. Now, the 11 o'clock is a smaller gathering, and the 930 is, is pretty full. And we don't have a lot of parking, so we're praying through what we need to do as a church to to allow those two services to be balanced. And we want to encourage you uh, to be praying about that as well. We're possibly going to be changing our service times in the months ahead. So this is like to prepare you for like a month out that may be, ha- may be happening. And so we want to let you know that and also to make a decision. You know, for us to reach this community, we, we have to provide the opportunity for others to come in. And so if you're able to go to the second service, that would be fantastic. Uh, right now it's at 11 o'clock, but it may be changing soon. And we're also going to be providing other resources in that second service uh, to serve our families. So anyways, that's what's going on. Hey, also, if you have the Version app, if you want to pull that up, uh, we are live on the Version app, so as we go through the passages this morning, you can find them if you go to more and events. You're going to find all of those passages there as you're all looking at me, so you're not looking at the app anyways. Uh, you can find that there or go back to it during the week and uh, track along with us. All right, that's it. Let's jump in. So we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and today we're going to end the beginning of kind of looking at the Gospel from 32,000 feet. I think it's important before we jump into the details to get a real idea of the big picture. And what Mark does is, as all the Gospels do, they structure the stories in the Gospel, not simply in chronological order. When you think of a Gospel, you may think it's history, it's biography, In fact, it's both, but really what the gospel writers are doing are they're taking events and they're arranging them in certain ways to communicate something about Jesus or something about the kingdom and something about what it looks like to follow him. And that's what Mark does. And in the first eight chapters, what we see is the authority, the power of Jesus Christ. As he goes out and teaches with authority, he heals people. And then in chapters eight, nine, and 10, we get to see the disciples wrestling with all that they watched in the first eight chapters and how they're totally missing who Jesus is. And what Mark wants to do, because we know who Jesus is, because see in verse one, he tells us, he says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. So as readers, those that are reading Mark's gospel, we know who Jesus is. And as Mark goes through this gospel, he's showing us how people are struggling with who he is. They misunderstand. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? What kind of kingdom is Jesus coming to establish? And then what does it look like for us as those who have trusted in Jesus to follow him? Well, see, all of those questions, they culminate in chapters 8, 9, and 10. We're going to get into three conversations. Three conversations with the disciples, and each one of these conversations has the same pattern. So do you have that in mind? Three conversations, and they all have the same pattern. And in each one of these patterns, the disciples, like us, we get Jesus wrong. 
We think Jesus is after one thing, but he's actually after something entirely different. And so Jesus is going to talk about the cross. Hey, guys, disciples, I'm going to the cross. That's how the kingdom of God's going to show up. That's how people are going to know that I'm God in the flesh. And then what happens is we see the confusion of the disciples. And in fact, we actually see what matters to them. And we're going to jump into that. And then finally, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to correct their vision. And he's going to say, this is what I'm about And this is what it looks like to follow me. And these three correctives are a lens through which we're going to understand Jesus, but more importantly, understand what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because there's a lot of verses in the New Testament, but Mark is setting aside these three verses that we're going to summarize today as the primary vision for what does it look like to really follow Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to jump into that. So here's what we're going to do. I want to set up the scene and first of all, talk about why the disciples had such a hard time understanding who Jesus is. And the problem is people like me. It's my fault. Religious leaders. Religious leaders often get God wrong. And in Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees represent the expectations of the people, which means the disciples. See, the reason the disciples get it wrong is because they're listening to the religious leaders and the religious leaders got it wrong. And when it came to Jesus being the Messiah, here's what the Pharisees thought. And you can sum it up in this word. If you had to write one word, resurrection. That's what the Pharisees are excited about. When the Messiah comes, the dead are gonna rise. Now, underneath the word resurrection are all these big expectations from the Old Testament. It means that the land is going to be cleansed, the land of Israel. And all the bad guys, blown up. They're gone. All the good guys get raised up. God's going to be vindicated. Israel's going to be raised up as a city on a hill, a light to all the nations. And this is what the Pharisees expect when this word Jesus the Christ, which is not his last name, wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ. Christ means Messiah. It's the king. And when the Pharisees heard that, that's what what they thought. They thought of the end of the age, the beginning of a new age, the reign of God, evil being washed away, the land being cleansed, and the righteous being raised up. That's a huge expectation. Now, here's the question. Why hasn't it happened? I mean, Israel has has had these problems for uh, problems, promises for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So the Pharisees had to come up with a reason why it's not working out. And there are two reasons, at least in the first century. The first reason is the Romans. Now, I don't know if you realize this, Israel is under the oppression of the Roman government. And the Romans are wicked. They worship many gods. They even think their own emperor is God. So when the Pharisees look at the Romans, the Romans are ruining their land. They're keeping the people from worshiping God. The Romans are the problem. But listen, they're not only the problem, they're God's judgment. Do you know why the Romans are in Israel? The Pharisees thought because of all of the sinners in the land. All of you sinners are the problem. And if you would just get it together God would come back. Now, let me pause. Sinner doesn't mean somebody that sins. The Pharisees knew that they had sin in their life. Now, in the New Testament, the word sinner is a category. And under that category, you stack a whole bunch of unclean people. And even people for us that we wouldn't think are unclean or unholy, like poor people. Why are there poor people? 
well, you must have done something wrong. And that's why you're poor. Or why are you sick? Well, you must have done something wrong and God is punishing you. And under this umbrella of sinners, the Pharisees saw them as the problem and God's judging us because of all you sinners. And if you would just get things right, if you just clean up your life, then God would come back. And so what the Pharisees did is they set up all these fencing laws. Like we're supposed to obey the Sabbath, right? Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna describe 45 different kinds of work that you shouldn't be doing. And that's how the Pharisees thought through how they're gonna change people's lives. And they blamed the sinners. They blamed leopards, the poor, the outcast, the paralytic. Now this is gonna cause a lot of problems for Jesus and his disciples because this is how the disciples see the world. The sinners are the problem. Now let me ask you a question. Who does Jesus spend a lot of time with? The problem. And here come the lepers, and here come the poor, and here come the outcast, and here come the broken, and Jesus is loving on them, and he's caring for them, and the disciples are like, you're with the wrong people, and the people that should be fixing things, the Pharisees hate you, and you're not establishing the kingdom of God. What's going on? And Mark's gospels constantly ask this question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Are you in their confusion yet? That's the confusion of the disciples. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump into Mark chapter eight, and we're gonna look at chapter nine quickly in chapter 10. And again, we're gonna jump into three conversations. And in these conversations, here's the pattern. Jesus is gonna point them to the cross. The disciples are gonna raise their confusion or whatever issues are important to them. And then Jesus is gonna land on this important corrective. So let's jump into it. Okay, so Matthew, Matthew. We're not in Matthew. We're still in Mark and I need to calm down. <laughs> Mark chapter eight, and let me pray. Let me pray for me. Let me pray for us, and if you would pray for me. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we, we don't gather for a performance. We're not here to be entertained. We're just here to be with you, and we're here to be with each other, the joy of being a family and not having everything perfect, but meeting with the one who is right. And Father, in being with the one who is right, you show us how right it is to love you and to know you. And so meet us here, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So first conversation. Here's the question, Mark chapter eight, verse 27. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now as readers, Mark 1, 1, you know the answer to that question. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah, unexpected Messiah, and he's the son of God. And so Jesus is asking the disciples, what are you hearing about me? First of all, from the crowds, but then if you look at verse 29, he turns the question to them. Guys, you've had eight chapters. You've seen all these miracles. Let's find out what you think about me. Here's, here's the test, verse 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. Yes, right? He gets it right. You would think as readers, if you haven't read beyond verse 29, Peter's got it right. That's exactly what Mark said in verse 1-1, right? Jesus is the Christ. Peter says, you are the Christ. And what does Jesus say? Verse 30, don't tell anybody. Now, there's a reason. It's not because he's trying to keep himself silent. It's because Peter's idea of the Christ is wrong. He's got the right name. He has the wrong concept of God. Remember why? Because of the Pharisees and the way they viewed the Christ. And so Jesus is gonna say, hey, Peter, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. 
And then watch this in verse 31. And he goes on to teach them about who he is. And he began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Notice, and be killed. Now, killed by who? The religious leaders who are supposed to know who the Messiah is. And Jesus is saying, the very people who should know who I am and celebrate that I've come are going to kill me. Now, if you're a disciple, how do you hear that? What? How how does that make any sense? The very people you've come and that represent you are the ones that are going to kill you. Yeah, exactly. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. And so in verse 32, and he said this plainly, and what happens? Peter's expectations, they get in the way. And he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, that's not who God is. That's not how God works. Let me share the truth with you. It's pretty bold. And so what does Jesus do? He has to correct Peter's understanding. Verse 33, and turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter is viewing Jesus through a worldly kingdom. One of the things we're going to see is what works in a worldly kingdom and what works in God's kingdom. Dying doesn't work. Dying and suffering and being crucified isn't going to win you followers. See, Peter expects Jesus to go to a throne, to a throne room, to have power and authority and to wipe out the bad people and raise up the good people. And Jesus is saying, that's not how my kingdom's going to show up. And Peter, listen, this is what changes hearts and lives. Not power, not authority, not might, but instead self-sacrificial love. Because think about this for a minute. I wonder if you've wrestled with this. Maybe you've thought to yourself, if God would just show up and do some miracles, then everybody in Evergreen would believe him. You know, if God just showed up and maybe healed a leper, like he did in Mark chapter 1, the religious leaders would finally see who he is and they would believe him. Well, the question is, did it work? Maybe if Jesus, right now, if he showed up at Lake Evergreen, right, and just started walking on water, that would convince everybody in Evergreen and they would see he is God and they would believe him. Well, did that work? That's Mark chapter 4. Well, maybe what he needs to do is have this very uh, authoritative teaching and have all of these crowds gathered together and he's going to teach with authority and people are going to be overwhelmed and then there's going to be a a lunch and and they only have five loaves and two fish and they're going to multiply this small little lunch and feed 5,000 people. Listen, that's going to do it, right? Well, it's already happened. That's Mark chapter 6. So often what we think is going to convince people Who Jesus is flows out of power, authority, miracles. None of these things are bad. They actually validate who Jesus is, but they don't change hearts and lives. And they're not the way the kingdom of God breaks into the world. It's the way the kingdom of man shows up, right? Lights, sounds, magicians, acrobats. I mean, beautiful sounding, wonderful displays of power. But that's not the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? You ready? Because it's pretty unimpressive to the ways of the world. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to his disciples, calling to, to him his disciples, he said to them, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What opens hearts to God's presence and power? Radical trust and love of God. Radical trust and love of God. Not miracles. Not even raising the dead. That happened in Mark chapter 5. What opens the eyes of people to who Jesus is, is your love for Jesus and your trust in him. That as you go through life and people see the way that you live, why do you live that way? Man, I just love Jesus. If I've gotten to where I am today, it's because of the grace of God. And when you fail, you don't hide the failure, do you? That's what Pharisees do. What we do is I need Jesus. I love Jesus. I need Jesus. What people need to see in this community is not our strength and our power and our authority and our beauty and our success. They need to see our radical dependency and trust in Jesus Christ. That opens the eyes of the blind and it unleashes the spirit of God into our world. But it's not impressive, is it? That's not how kingdoms get built but it's how God's kingdom shows up into the world. And what Jesus is telling us in this verse is we need to learn to set aside our agenda and start picking up his agenda. We've gotta start setting aside what we think is most important, our values, and picking up kingdom values. And we have to start laying down the kingdoms of this world that are important to us and start living for the kingdom of God. What's the first corrective, if you could go there? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's how people will see Jesus. So first conversation, you with me? It's only gonna get worse from here. Let's go to the second one. Okay, chapter nine. In chapter nine, very similar conversation. Here's the cross, here's what's gonna happen. Here's where the disciples mess up. Jesus is gonna correct them. Let's jump in. Mark chapter nine, verse 30, second conversation. And they went from there and passed through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know, verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, okay, let's look at the cross. The son of man is gonna be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him meaning the unclean, the sinners, that category of sinners is going to kill Jesus. And when he is killed, after three days, he's gonna rise. And what happened? Verse 32, they don't understand what he's saying and they're afraid to ask because they know what happened to Peter. And so at this point, they've learned the lesson. Listen, I don't know what Jesus is talking about right now, but don't tell him because we don't wanna be corrected. Well, Jesus sees into the heart of man, verse 30. And when they came to Capernaum and it was in the house, he asked them, hey guys, when I was telling you about the cross and the fact that I was gonna die, what were you guys thinking about? What were you discussing on the way? And they kept silent. Why? Because on the way, they argued with one another about who's the greatest. Why? That's what our kingdoms value. Who do you think Jesus likes more? I've gotten more likes from Jesus on social media. I think he believes I'm the prettiest. I know he believes I'm the strongest. 
Maybe he believes I'm the smartest. We're impressed with ourselves because the kingdoms of this world want a leader who is powerful, smart, beautiful, charismatic. That's what's going to move the world. You know what? If we can just get my people in power, you know what I mean? Then the world's going to be made right. If we can just get the smart people and the wise people and the beautiful people, and those are our people, right? Because there's other people that have their own idea who are the beautiful, smart. If I can just get my people there, then the kingdom of this world will be set right. We've been doing this from the beginning. How is it working out? It's a constant cycle. Because power, authority, control, might, it doesn't change the heart of man. They just wait for the next king to come along or the next president or the next leader. Instead, what Jesus does is he corrects the vision of his disciples and he's also going to hopefully correct our vision. So verse 35, and he sat down with the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And now he's going to illustrate this, verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The key phrase is, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Now, why is that person last? Not because they've chosen to be last, but the values of the kingdom put you at the end of the crowd. It's not impressive. Self-sacrificial love for your enemies, service to others. It doesn't raise you high on the values of the kingdom because that's not going to move the world, right? It's not going to impress people. But in God's kingdom, the last, those who are ignored in the world, are gonna be brought to the front because God is impressed with self-sacrifice, service, self-sacrificial agape love for others. How do we know that? Because that's how Jesus lived his life. And you know what? Children know the difference. Children see through. What does a child want? Do they want money? Do they wanna be around people of power, fame, you know, big mouths that boast about themselves. No, they want to be safe. They want to be loved. They want to belong. They want to matter. Children know character when they see it, and they reject the phonies, and they run to the people who will love them and care for them. Someplace in adulthood, we lose that. And we start listening to the kingdoms of this world and valuing what they value instead of valuing what God created in us to value which is to care, to sacrifice, to love, to serve. What's the second corrective that Jesus gives us? If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Conversation two ends. So let's finish it up with conversation three. You starting to see the pattern? Let's jump into it. Verse 32, Mark chapter 10, last conversation. You guys are almost there. You're doing fantastic. Verse 32. And they were on the road going to Jerusalem. Now, realize in Mark's gospel, that's a key phrase. It means Jesus is going to the cross. And they're following in the way of Jesus as they're going to the cross with Jesus. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. Verse 32, and those who followed were afraid. 
And again, taking the 12, he began to tell them what's going to happen. Third time, verse 33. See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Okay, third time. In Hebrew, that is the word very. You know, Hebrew doesn't have the word very, very beautiful, very pretty. Instead, what Hebrew does is it repeats something three times. You've heard the phrase holy, holy, holy. That's how God emphasizes things. Mark is using that Hebrew idiom to say this is the point. He's taking us to what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, where are the disciples in this at this point? After two conversations, they must have figured it out. So let's jump into it. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, you love it when a kid says that to you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right and the other at your left in glory. I want a position of power because I know the reason you're going to Jerusalem is to sit on a throne. You're gonna wipe out the evil people. You're gonna destroy all these sinners. And I wanna be at your left and right when you come into glory. They still don't get it. Because see, that's what the kingdoms of this world value. And we think that's gonna change the heart of people, right? If we could just get enough people in power and tell what these, these other people what to do, then hearts and minds are gonna be changed. That's not how the kingdom of God enters the world. And so watch what happens, verse 24. Here's the teaching moment. And Jesus called to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How will people see the power of the gospel, how will they see that Jesus is who he says he is? How will they see the kingdom of God? Not lording it over those entrusted to us, but instead serving the people around us in self-sacrificial love, even our enemies. Three correctives, three correctives, and we can see these together. The first, if anyone would come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The second, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And then finally, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. That's the kingdom of God. Now, why did the disciples reject it? Well, let me share one more idea with you. See, in the disciples' day, you chose your rabbi and you would choose the best rabbi the good-looking rabbi, the smart rabbi, the fast rabbi, because whatever your rabbi does reflects on who you are. And if he is great in the world, then you are great in the world. But if he is a servant, then you're a servant. There's this moment in which Jesus actually washes the disciples' feet. I don't know if you've heard that. 
And Peter has a visceral reaction. You cannot wash my feet. Now, we may think that's humility. It's not. It's pride. Because what he's saying is, I don't want to be associated with a rabbi who washes people's feet. That's not why I'm following you, Jesus. I'm not following you to go to the cross. I want to be great. I want to have power. I want to have authority. What does it mean to die to ourselves? It means to be honest about what we want and then lay it down at Jesus' feet. To say, listen, Jesus, the way I think life is gonna work and the way I think things are gonna work out and what I think is gonna change people's hearts, I gotta surrender that to you. And then radical trust, faith, and obedience, I wanna follow your voice. I wanna listen to you. I wanna surrender to you. And just as you went to the cross, And that's what opened the eyes of others. Father, help me to serve the people around me, even my enemies, so they might see your love, your power, and your authority. That's the way of Christ and the way of the gospel. How do I know? Well, Mark 15. There's only one person in Mark's gospel that gets Jesus, and it's the sinner. It's the centurion. Because in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, As the centurion sees the last becoming first and the first last, as the centurion sees Jesus crucified on the cross, as as the centurion sees Jesus pouring out his life, here's what he says. When the centurion stood facing him and saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. What opened his eyes was the self-sacrificial love of God. And can we be honest? That's what opened our eyes. It wasn't an argument from somebody in the community that called me a fool. It was the love of Jesus Christ that said I was worthy to love, to die for, that I might be redeemed. Church, this is the path of Christ, and this is what opens people's eyes to see his goodness and beauty. Hey, we're going to celebrate communion this morning as we close. If you didn't grab the communion elements when you came in, I want you to take the opportunity. They're available in the front. They're also available in the back. And I don't, I don't know what this, this kind of message has stirred up in your heart. I know in mine, there's been a lot this week that I've had to wrestle with, pray through. And, and as we hold the communion elements, it's an opportunity for us simply to, to speak to our Father to spend some time in his presence. And so let's hold these elements together. And then after a time of silence, we will uh, receive what God has given us. Let's spend that time.
Father, I thank you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but instead the Christ, the Son of God, he came to serve us. He came to serve those that abandoned him and rejected him. You came to serve those that even this week cursed others, maybe even condemned ourselves for our own failures. And maybe today we even see ourselves as unlovable in your sight. Father, through the power of the Spirit, through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, would you open our eyes to see that through your sacrifice, there is forgiveness, there is acceptance, there is love, but there's also a new way of life that doesn't lead to bitterness and hatred towards those around us, that takes serious the problems of the world, but sees the solution in you and not just simply the powers of this world. Father, help us to trust you this week and in all the challenges that we face, simply to have that radical love and obedience, just to listen to you. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant that is now established in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.